think of something you're good at. Maybe it's singing, or soccer, or inspiring others. Now think of something you're not so good at, dancing, or maybe delegating. What separates these two skills? Is it that you're just naturally talented or intrinsically lousy? Or is it that you've actively worked to get better at the thing you're good at and just haven't really taken the time to practice what you're bad at? In the world of psychology, this is an important difference. It stems from a field of research known as mindset theory, and it has enormous implications in our current moment. When everything is in flux and we're forced to adapt to the new world that's taking shape, how we view our own skills says a lot about how hard we'll work to change and grow. I'm Chris Weller, and you're listening to Your Brain at Work from the Neuroleadership Institute. For this episode, and the ones that follow, we'll be drawing from a weekly webinar series that NLI has been hosting every Friday between our co-founder and CEO, Dr. David Rock, and a distinguished guest. Together, they discuss the science of leading through crisis and what impact they've seen as leaders. In today's episode, our guest is Chris Boroff, Director of Operations at the financial services firm Morningstar. Together with NLI's Director of Industry Research, Andrea Derler, the discussion centers on growth mindset, what it is, how it works, and how Morningstar has made the most of the COVID-19 crisis to transform the entire organization's approach to learning, feedback, and growth. Enjoy. Just to kind of kick off and and firstly, welcome to everyone. Um, Appreciate you all uh, taking the time with us. We're going to talk today a lot about uh, growth mindset, uh, which, which, you know, when I first heard about growth mindset kind of early in the crisis as something clients were interested in, I was like, I just, I didn't make the connection immediately. I was kind of like, how's growth mindset relevant? And then I realized it's unbelievably relevant uh, because we're all having to do incredibly new things that we've never, ever done before um, with people in ways we've never, ever worked with before. So, it, it, it suddenly hit me really early on that growth mindset was such a critical foundation. Um, and a number of firms we'd been working with on this started to come back around to us saying, well, this has been really helpful, really, really important. So we've been tracking this. We just published a paper. I think you'll find relevant. Um, what I wanted to do today is give you a deeper understanding of what growth mindset really is, as well as some of the organizational research that we've done and our perspective on that. Then we're going to hear from Chris He's going to tell us all about what's been happening at Morningstar, the financial services firm, uh, how growth mindset's been helping them. So uh, we'll come back to you in a few minutes to, uh, to hear your story there. But um, let's firstly kick off with um, just an understanding of uh, growth mindset. And Andrea, you know, you've been driving as head of all of our industry research, you've been driving a lot of this research. Tell us what, uh, what's been going on in growth mindset uh, at NLI for the last few years. Yeah, um, thank you, David. Well, as we know, growth mindset, the science and the research is almost 40 years old, I think. Uh, We have really taken a deep dive in the last six years, I believe. This is the science of growth mindset. That's really important to uh, gain an understanding of what is the scientific explanation? What does fixed and growth mindset look like? Um, How does it really look like when it comes to performance and to learning? And how does it help us self-regulate? And it also outlines some of the specific growth mindset behaviors that uh, we want to know about and learn about. It also gives a peak preview into uh, that growth mindset isn't something that we only apply as individuals. Uh, it really becomes very interesting when you apply it in organizations, in a collective. The second report called Growth Mindset Culture, therefore, is a summary of our 20 interviews that we conducted about two years ago uh, with large organizations who have gone onto a growth mindset journey. So we outline and explain why organizations even build growth mindset cultures, what's the business case, and also how setting priorities around growth mindset, uh, outlining the right behaviors and habits of growth mindset, and also, really importantly, build it into the systems helps build their growth mindset culture over time. And uh, we also list a couple of really fun, observable uh, growth mindset behaviors and and rituals almost in terms of um, what do organizations do when it becomes their own. Now, we then had a lot of conversations with organizations and clients around uh, growth mindset in the practice. So questions around performance came out a lot. That's actually a really big topic. So we wrote this third report and did some additional research. How does growth mindset apply in performance management conversations? And we learned a lot about uh, openness for feedback and evaluating performance. And it helps team collaboration and how it can be helpful in everyday behaviors um, around performance. 
The next one that you can see listed here is a what we call a case study collection. It is an interesting uh, description, I think an illustration of how four companies um, have or are still on their journey towards growth mindset culture, uh, specifically cases around digitalization, uh, creating an agile company, uh, how it applies to learning and again, performance management transformation. So there's a lot on that. Um, they can read what it actually looks and feels like when the company goes through that, really about the why, the how and the what. And the um, last one, before we move on a little deeper into that one, is about what impact has growth mindset had on organizations? I want to just give you a sense for what this impact report, which is our newest publication, really uh, dug into. This is based on, again, research both in industry and science, and what difference does it make when you build a growth mindset culture? The first big difference that we've observed over time, this also based on behavior change uh, data, is employees really and people become more adaptive in times of mm -hmm. change, really, really relevant for today, more resilient, and they actually really start to learn a lot better and a, a lot more, basically, when they have a, an embedment in the growth mindset culture. And I know, Andrea, we saw actual data as well. We saw 22% engagement lift when we worked with HP on growth mindset. Yeah. Uh, another firm, we saw about 13% engagement lift when we saw growth mindset. So um, there's definitely a business impact. And I think right now what we see is it's just so incredibly relevant. I mean, the, the bottom line is people are having to completely do, you know, upend everything about how they work. Um, so it's incredibly relevant. So. Let's jump um, from there. Let's jump a little bit into kind of what it is. Um, I want to give you a, a, like a, an understanding, a really good understanding of what growth mindset is and isn't, starting with fixed mindset. And, and the point I want to make, first of all, um, is it's very domain specific. So a fixed mindset is, is a belief that we're not intrinsically good at something, at a particular task. It could be cooking. It could be dancing. It could be sports. It could be selling. It could be technology could be, there's a domain where you basically believe that you're not smart intrinsically. It's not something that's kind of you. And as a result of that belief, which is often very subconscious, um, putting in effort is sort of pointless. There's no point trying to get better or even trying that hard at that particular task. You know, if it's cooking, you think you're not a cook intrinsically. It's not something you've ever done. Your parents didn't do it. It's that belief has you basically not focus as much and try as much. Uh, you don't ask for feedback. Uh, in fact, feedback is just a, a chance to be reminded that you're no good at this. Uh, you don't set stretch goals if you have that belief, which is the problem because stretch goals give you really the biggest return in terms of uh, behavior change. And, and interestingly, and studies have actually looked at this directly, when you see a positive role model, like a great cook or a friend making great food, you actually become less confident in your own skills. So it's this strange thing that just from this one belief that you're intrinsically not good at this, like it impacts all this stuff. Like you don't try as hard, you don't like feedback, you don't set goals, you don't learn from others. Like it's really upstream from kind of everything you might try and do. So if you run like a learning function in an organization, you know, if people have a fixed mindset, it's almost like everything else you do doesn't matter because it doesn't matter if you give them coaches, doesn't matter if you give them training, doesn't matter if you give them great content. If they have a fixed mindset on this issue, it's, it's landing on kind of deaf ears as they say. So, um, it's such an upstream thing um, that a lot of organizations have been saying, look, how do we just basically shift people uh, from one to the other? And, you know, these are the kinds of things right now, um, you know, all, all sorts of folks are saying, you know, I'm not a technology person intrinsically. I'm good at this, you know, sitting around and working with people, but I'm just not really a technology person. And that's going to have you, you know, really struggle with, you know, this current time. Or I'm not a people person. Or I like to sit at home and work. I don't want to be on Zoom calls all day. I don't want to have to interact with humans it's just not who i am or just i'm just no good at this work from home thing you know i need to be back at the office so you know as people say these kinds of things it's an example of a fixed mindset and really everything you try to do on top of that just kind of um, doesn't work whereas a growth mindset is the belief you can get better at a domain uh, you know that you've got to put in work you know feedback helps you know stretch goals help and you actually like to learn from others it's an opportunity so it's, it's this really weird thing that, you know, when, when I first looked at, at mindset, I was like, isn't it just like this, this philosophy that doesn't matter, but it's actually a, it's almost like a switch that's upstream of everything you want to do in learning. So most of the organizations we're doing leadership development with, including Microsoft, HP, Morningstar, many others, uh, it's like one of the foundations of, um, of leadership development. Before we even teach anything, we'll kind of start with growth mindset. And nowadays in the diversity and inclusion space, 
you know, we're often starting with growth mindset because it's, it's creating this willingness to actually, you know, maintain an open mind and learn from others and, you know, and really learn overall. Uh, so here's a good summary of it. Uh, you know, fixed mindset is you're trying to look good. You know, you don't think you're good at it. So you try to look good as opposed to try to get better. You're trying to prove your value as opposed to improve. You're trying to be better than others as opposed to being better than yourself, kind of playing against yourself. So it's really, you know, I, I think these summarize it very powerfully, especially look good um, versus uh, get better always really catches it for me. You know, which one are you trying to do? Look good or are you trying to get better? So as we, as we think about this, you know, we're in the habit activation business at NLI. We're in the business of creating real change. And Andre and team will be publishing some research soon on this framework. We've done some big research. It's underway at the moment. But, you know, one of the big things is like hardly any change initiatives succeed. And the main reason is people don't actually build the right habits the right way. Um, this is something we keep coming back to and uh, we're seeing in new data again. So, you know, what are the right habits for growth mindset? There's a meta habit that um, is relatively easy to learn and teach and does give you some return, although there are three specific habits that go a lot deeper and we focus more on those. But this meta habit is super powerful. It's basically add yet. You know, I'm no good at this work from home thing. Maybe I'm just no good at this yet. Um, you know, I'm no good at this juggling, you know, so much stuff. Well, you're just no good at it yet. So adding yet is this kind of meta habit where you notice a fixed mindset and you add, uh, you know, this word and you're shifting yourself to this perspective. Um, so that's kind of high level. But then the three core habits, uh, there's a lot more science in this. I'll slow down a little bit more. But the, the three core habits are really important. You know, one of them is we actually need to be reminded to experiment. So we need, we need to be encouraged, supported, reminded, given, you know, in positive feedback around experimenting. Um, a couple of reasons. One is the big one from a brain perspective is once we do a task two or three times, the brain automatically starts to kind of go on autopilot. That's not a technical neuroscience term, but uh, we, we start literally coding things so that we don't have to pay attention anymore. Uh, it's actually really good research from Dan Gilbert at Harvard showing where we're not paying attention about half the time, just under half the time, people are literally not actually present with what they're doing. They're on autopilot in a task, actually their mind elsewhere, about half the time, right? So if you want people to grow and learn, they have to literally try different things, which is literally the opposite of what the brain wants to do. The brain wants to not have to do different things, but hardwire stuff so that we don't have to focus anymore. So we need to be reminded to experiment. Um, the second one is to value progress because in the brain, we tend to remember the lessons. Uh, we tend to not remember the, the lessons. We tend to remember just the result. So, you know, we complete a project. All we remember is, did we learn? Uh, oh, sorry. Did we deliver the result? But the questions are, how did we do so well? Like what lessons could we take from this to do even better next time or replicate it or share it? We don't tend to unpack the actual learning unless we really put attention on it. The brain kind of naturally just goes to outcomes. So these are, we're sort of fighting with the brain's natural tendencies here, right? There's a tendency to kind of just, you know, hardwire things that actually we need to be reminded to, to experiment. There's a tendency to just remember the end. We need to be reminded to continually think about the journey. So it's always, where were you? Where are you? Where are you going? Uh, and these principles can be woven into just about everything in talent. This isn't just like feedback. This, these principles go kind of everywhere. And then the third big one, and this is fascinating, is really actively learn uh, from others, like really, really actively learn from others. And it turns out there's research on this. It's not just that we have big blind spots. Literally other people know our skills, abilities, and potential better than we do. There's research on this. Other people literally, with the exception of a very few small specific categories, other people are more accurate about our skills, abilities, uh, potential, all of this than actually we are. So, you know, as well as blind spots, like we, we want to learn, we want to grow. And without like that real input from others, we're just not going to get it. So um, the brain doesn't sort of automatically process this way. So these are three habits. Now at NLI, we're in the habit activation business. What we know is we need to build habits one at a time. Uh, they need a lot of attention. The more people working on them, the better. Um, and this is the way we think about this is, is ideally like really building these across large numbers of people kind of all at once, but one habit at a time. Uh, so this is the way we think about it. Um, and, you know, we also know that habits are a big piece, but also systems really matter. Do you want to add a couple of comments there, Andre, before we, uh, we change gears there? 
Yeah, I'd love to. So the rituals are really interesting. I have a, f- f- fun, a few fun examples there. A company, for example, in order to show how often asking for feedback, for example, is a really important um, behavior that we wanted to drive when it comes to growth mindset. Because if I'm ready to ask somebody for feedback, I'm open for feedback. That means also it's going to help me learn. So one of the companies we spoke to has started to wear wristbands in different colors, yellow, green, and red, to indicate for people in the office at the time pre-COVID. Um, yes, I have asked for feedback in, in recent days or haven't so much. So really, so there is, this is one way that we found uh, organizations make it their own. The other one that I really like is companies are starting to talk more about failure and mistakes and how important they are, which is totally in line with growth mindset for learning. And so we have heard of failure Fridays and mistake Mondays where leaders starting to talk about what didn't go so well in the last week or month. And uh, to really discuss and be very transparent about mistakes are okay if we learn from them. So lots of information uh, that you can find in the support for that. The last bit I want to highlight here, David, it was really interesting to me as an, as an industry analyst was about um, what talent systems can organizations really also um, create and design in a way that it reflects growth mindset and leadership development and learning is an obvious one. Performance management is the other one, but we found that companies change their talent review processes. They change the way they have career conversations. So all sorts of systematic ways in which organizations can build growth mindset into the culture over time. So these are the two things uh, worth of highlight, I think, in this report. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, so, I mean, certainly there's a lot of, you know, information about growth mindset out there and it is relatively easy just to say, oh, well, we're going to teach growth mindset. What I, what I find um, with organizations who are trying to do this themselves is they're able to get the sort of meta habit going and get some awareness of growth mindset. They're sort of able to make it, you know, basically a priority. Um, but in terms of really building the habits, um, you, you, you need to kind of know exactly what makes up growth mindset in terms of the cognitive skills and then really build those one at a time. So getting into the practice at a team level um, of experimenting, like really weaving that into your team practices, that takes like some time and just focusing on that, you know, then really getting into the practice of focusing on progress, not just outcomes. Again, that really takes some practice. So we looked at, the, at those, you know, critical habits and then how do you learn those one at a time? And that's really how you embed a growth mindset culture. And when we've been able to do it that way, uh, which we've done many, many times, uh, you actually get profound change in the mindset people have. So watch out for just like, oh, yeah, we can do a quick webinar on growth mindset. Everyone's got it. No, it's really a big mindset shift, but it's one that when you get it is, you know, very, very powerful. So anyway, with all that in mind, you know, growth mindset's incredibly relevant right now, uh, you know, in so many different ways. Hi, me again. I want to share a story with you and ask a quick favor. A couple years ago, the Neuroleadership Institute ran a study that asked people to engage in mock negotiations. Each person wore a heart monitor. At the end, people were told to give their partners feedback. Only for half the participants, the roles were flipped and people were told to ask their partners for feedback. The study found something really interesting. It turned out that giving feedback and getting feedback were equally stressful. But when people ask for feedback, both partners' stress levels got cut in half. Their heart rate steadied, and their anxiety faded. So that's where the favor comes in. Will you give us feedback on our podcast? We created a survey that takes less than two minutes to complete, and in return, you'll receive a free copy of NLI's latest journal paper, The Fact Model, a framework for managing cognitive capacity. To fill out the survey, all you need to do is go to neuroleadership.com slash podsurvey. That's neuroleadership.com slash podsurvey. Chris, if you want to come back on um, and uh, talk about growth mindset at Morningstar. Thanks for joining us, Chris. And, you know, tell us, first of all, I guess, uh, just, you know, tell us some of the basics on Morningstar so people sort of have some context of size and shape and what you guys do. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, David. Um, yeah, so Morningstar is an independent investment research firm. Uh, we're global in nature. Our headquarters are here in Chicago, but we operate in 27 different countries currently. Um, and about 7,500 employees uh, across those, those locations. So you, know, you could probably call us a medium-sized uh, firm. Um, I, I will add, just to sort of make the connection to, to growth mindset, that we, you know, at, at our very core, at, at the very heart of Morningstar, are a bunch of investment analysts. Um, and almost by nature, those analysts are, are 
you know, sort of come from this place of wanting to know more, wanting to learn, sort of accepting uh, their own limitations or their own their own lack of uh, of information, and through you know data analysis, asking questions, etc. Uh, you know, they build a, a, a hypothesis or perspective on the investment landscape uh, out there. And I think that for us anyway, creates a very nice foundation for this notion of, of growth mindset. We tend to approach the world from a place of Socratic ignorance uh, with a belief that we need to learn more and, you know, and through curiosity, through questions, uh, through, through learning, through understanding, um, you know, we, we grow and, uh, you know, and develop our, our perspective on the investment world. Right, right. I mean, in, I know we've worked with some other investment firms and hedge funds and whatnot. I mean, the, 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 the passion is to learn, like, where's the alpha? Like, how do I get there? It's a very strong, you know, learning culture. You know, in the army, it's kind of learn or die. In the investment community, it's kind of learn or get fired because um, it's, 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 you know, it's a really tough space and there's, there's, you know, so much data out there to learn from as well. Yeah. So, so tell us about your journey with growth mindset. How did it come about at Morningstar and kind of what, you know, how was it received? You know, tell us a little bit about the journey. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, my, my comment uh, just there was really to suggest that we have a good foundation for that, you know, sort of being an accepted uh, way of thinking and, and, and an accepted set of, set of behaviors. Um, so, you know, maybe unlike some other organizations, we're a little bit more primed to, uh, to you know, to sort of lead into, into that world. Um, we've done a few things. So, you know, we worked with uh, NLI recently to build uh, the set of uh, commitments that was really intended to guide uh, behaviors. So, you know, we have a mission, we have strategy, we have corporate values, uh, but in particularly in helping new people uh, who join uh, the organization understand what that means from a from an actual behavior uh, standpoint. Uh, we built this uh, commitments uh, framework uh, that helps to describe some of these things. And a very important layer of that framework is this notion uh, we call it create the future. And uh, but embedded within that is very much this notion of. Uh, of growth mindset, you know, we even call out things like experiment to grow as as one of the habits that uh, that we espouse. Uh, so, you know, sort of through um, you know this top down messaging, uh, we're really uh, encouraging people and giving them the uh, the freedom to to think uh, in a in a growth minded uh, sort of way. So um, yeah, so Chris, back to this uh, framework. Um, it's, uh, it, I know we wove in um, the, the growth mindset aspects into the actual framework, which we've done a bit. Uh, so experiment to, to grow, embrace new perspectives uh, in, in the build bridges. So there's a number of, of elements that are kind of woven in here. What kind of impact did it have, like teaching folks about growth mindset? What did you see when leaders kind of learned about this? What were some of the, some of the things you saw? Yeah, I th you know, I think like anything, it's it's one of those things that really takes time to embed. But um, the 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 examples that I've seen uh, in recent times are where leaders are really starting to model some of these behaviors, and of course, that's that's really important then to uh, to getting the masses to uh, to accept those uh, as well. Um, We've, we've done a lot really over the, the recent years to build in more formalized feedback mechanisms. So, you know, like a lot of companies, we've established a, uh, a regular cadence of pulse surveys and I call them pulse surveys, but they probably don't quite fit the, uh, the, the actual definition because our surveys tend to be fairly long as opposed to, you know, right. three to five kinds of questions. Oh. But on a regular quarterly basis, we're gathering information from, uh, our, our colleagues around the world on some recurring themes that we want to track sort of as metrics and, and uh, hopefully show progress over. But um, each quarter as we run this survey, we're always including and exploring new, new ideas as well, things that are, uh, you know, maybe sort of one-time topical in nature or, you know, relating right. to some sort of current event and so forth. And uh, that, that, that formal feedback mechanism has become really important to us and it's very much embraced by our senior leadership. So they are regularly referring to data that we've collected and uh, insights that we've, that we've gleaned from, 
uh, from our folks and, you know, and sharing that back. So that's one telling people that, hey, this is important. So please continue participating in, uh, in these surveys because we actually do pay attention to it uh, and that it's shaping decisions uh, that we make. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the, that feedback is, is contrary to what we, what we originally thought or, right. you, know, a, a, you know, a current practice or, or something like that. And we're, we're quite transparent with that and, and willing to admit that, all right, maybe we didn't have it right originally and we need to uh, pivot yeah. or make some sort of adjustment. And, and that, that sort of that openness, that, that trans transparency, I think is a great model to, uh, to the rest of the organization that we can learn, we can get better, that we can, that we're willing to, uh, to, you know, change and evolve as we, right. uh, as we grow. I mean, speaking of changing and evolving and learning, tell us about your experience over the last few months. Uh, you guys were adapting really fast. You're doing some really amazing things. Tell us about your experience in the, you know, the first three months of this crisis and kind of how you've been able to adapt and evolve really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, like for most organizations, it's been very interesting times and uh, uh, you know, we're more or less writing the playbook as we go. Um, so it, you know, it sort of forces us into that, into that, iterate, adapt, uh, you know, sort of growth mindset. I, I will just sort of preface all of that by saying that um, my background, at Mor I've been at Morningstar for about 24 years now. Most of that time I spent as a business leader, I ran one of our divisions uh, in essentially a general management capacity. About five or six years ago, I decided I was ready for a change, felt a little burnt out on that path. And I moved over into our HR organization, what we call talent and culture. Um, and then, um, you know, four or five months ago, I was tapped to lead our uh, pandemic response effort, you know, as it relates to COVID or, or coronavirus. So I've been living in that world very, um, uh, very deeply uh, for the last several months. But I share a little bit of that background because I also think I'm an example of a mindset that we really do promote at Morningstar, that we want people to try different things, to explore different career paths or different roles. That typically happens maybe a little earlier in people's careers uh, than it uh, did in my case. Um, but, you know, that's very much encouraged. We believe it's you know, it's, it's valuable to the individual, but it's also valuable to the organization in, in building uh, a broader perspective and understanding of, uh, of the business. So I'm a, I'm a poster child example of that. Fantastic. Uh, so what, what did mindset. you bring into the, the, the big change? What did you, what, what did you uh, drive there and, and tell us about some of the successes? Yeah. So, you know, so when we, when we uh, initially uh, you know, sort of built our response uh, plan for this particular uh, COVID situation, I'd say there was kind of three structural things that we did. Um, one was to establish a leadership structure uh, and, and on, on a global scale. And so, you know, sort of myself and a small core team of people at headquarters who were uh, living and breathing this stuff and helping to drive forward decisions and policy making and so forth, uh, but also building extensions of that team on a regional uh, and local office basis. So we built a network of people who were, um, you know, kind of representing the leadership and the decision-making structure right. for and connected very closely with our executive team. Um, we also built an information gathering structure. Uh, so whether that is internal through surveys and we moved from a quarterly survey cadence that I was just describing to a weekly survey cadence to, right. uh, to gather uh, real-time information from, uh, from, from folks, we set up uh, relationships with other employers like ourselves uh, to get outside perspective. We um, connected with you know, various consulting firms that we've worked in the with in the past who were tracking uh, all of this as well. So we, you know, so we built a, a network internal and external to, to feed information on a fairly real-time basis into our, into our decision-making. And then we built a com communication or a transparency structure. So mm. to be feeding information back out to our employees about, you know, what we do know, what we don't know, what decisions have been made, what, you know, might be nice. pending or, or, or coming in the future. Um, and, you know, I suppose maybe we got a little bit lucky with all of that, uh, but uh, um, it, it really did over time uh, start to click and, uh, and, and, and yeah. Uh, be very effective. I know we've shared with you 
the other thing that we did or, or uh, activity that we undertook was uh, really sort of an empathy, empathy effort, if you will, uh, of making sure that we had people and largely through our HR business partners who were there ready to connect on an individual basis with individuals that were struggling, whether they're yeah. struggling from just kind of a stress of, of you know, sort of fear of um, you know, health concerns, or as we move to a work from home structure, um, challenges working from home, adapting mm. to that model, dealing with family or kids or, you know, other distractions that might be. Um, but we have put people in place to respond on a very one-on-one -on -one basis and say, hey, we're here to help out, you know, even if just talking to you and, uh, you know, and sort of talking about the challenges uh, or sharing information and, uh, yeah, and no, ideas. Yeah, because that's, I mean, I hear four different architectures you've put in. I'm curious kind of how quickly you're able to execute that. But there's a, there's a leadership architecture. Then there's an information gathering architecture. Then there's an information sharing architecture. Then there's a caring architecture as well. Um, I mean, that's a lot uh, to kind of put in place. I mean, how quickly were, were you able to do that? And is it still in place now? Uh, yeah, I, you know, it, it, it happened fairly quickly, but certainly not all at once. And, and again, it was something that we continually iterate on and, and try to improve or, you know, or evolve as, as the needs have changed uh, through, uh, throughout the crisis. So I, I would say, you know, after a month or so of really formalizing uh, a, a response effort, we had at least parts of all of those pieces in place and we've made them better over time, you know, sort of to the point of, uh, of growth mindset. We didn't do it once and figured that was perfect and, and the right, right answer in all cases. We've, uh, we've had to, uh, to improve and, uh, and adapt on those. Um, yeah. How often, I mean, you know, you've learned the work. How often do you find yourself kind of noticing that you might have a fixed mindset on a, on a, on a task or a person or a topic or a project? You know, how often do you notice that mindset and go, oh, I wonder if I've got a fixed mindset there and shift it to a growth? How often does that happen? Yeah. For you, you, think? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people just sort of by nature who likes structure organization and, uh, you know, a level of predictability uh, in, their, in their environment. I know that about myself. Right. Um, so my, my, my bias tends to, to move in that direction um, and, you know, and want to say, okay, here it is, it's set, now we just need to run with it and I don't have to uh, pay as much attention or, you know, or babysit that uh, over time. The interesting thing about the pandemic is it hasn't allowed us to do that, right? Right, Because it, it has been a constant change and, and, and evolution and, you know, and kind of dealing with the, the phases of this. There was a period of time as we were all sort of moving into the pandemic and for many companies like Morningstar, moving into a work from home model. So there was very much a transition in period that was, you know, very chaotic and, you know, very reactive and, you know, trying to solve that set of problems as quickly as, as we could, you know, then we got into this work from home environment and it was a little bit more of a maintenance, uh, uh, period where we're trying to tweak and just make sure that everybody was as comfortable and, and productive as possible. Yeah. Now we're in sort of this third stage of planning our shift out of work from home or back into the office. Right. Um, and, you know, every one of those stages has been very different with different sets of challenges. Yeah. So it's so, constant. You know, as, constant so, yeah, as soon as we want to kind of relax and just be okay with the current situation, it changes on us. And so, right. It's, it's literally every week. Whoops. I've got a fixed mindset about that. I'm going to have to shift that because we're just going to have to change. We're going to have exactly. to change again. Exactly. What's, do you know the data on the percentage of people who want to be back in the office at Morningstar? I'm asking, from a lot of firms, uh, what percentage of people want to be back in the office? Yeah, well, there's sort of a question of do they whether they want to be back in the office or whether did they they feel that they get sort of value or benefit out of being back in the office. Right now, and, and this varies by country around the world because we're all oh. in different you know sort of phases of the of the um, of the pandemic. But generally, say here in the U.S. Um, it's, it's a relatively small percentage who feel like they're ready to be back in the office, somewhere around 10, 10%, I would say. Right. Yeah. I've heard two and a half percent in one firm, five in another, 10 in others. It's really, really interesting, you know, kind of curve. And I think, I think it's going to be some interesting challenges with the hybrid model. Um, and, you know, coming back to growth mindset, like as we, as we sort of move into a world where a bunch of people are still going to be working from home more than companies are used to. 
and then a bunch are going to be in the office. You know, one thing coming up for us is um, like, uh, it, it, I think if one person is out of the office, then everyone should be on a platform like this. Uh, we don't want to go back to the old days of, you know, people in a room able to really be in the meeting and everyone not in the room kind of frustrated. Uh, there's a lot of benefit that we've all learned from these platforms that uh, actually we can be, we can really hear each other and see each other and actually be social uh, even though we're out of the office in a weird way when we get the platform right. Um, and so that's, that's, I think, an important habit to just kind of have this growth mindset about just stay on a platform if anyone's out of the room. If everyone's in the room in an office, amazing. You can meet without a platform. But if you've got one or two people out of the room, you know, keep going with the platform. We think that's going to actually be really, really helpful for, um, uh, for making the work inclusive and less biased and actually move faster as well. You'll, you'll actually have shorter meetings. Uh, yeah. in, in that and we, and we've received a lot of those same same comments. So you know we had pre-COVID a, a, a relatively small handful of full-time telecommuters. They're really happy now because we're all telecommuters. We're all on equal footing. Right. We're all and, you know and meetings, quite frankly, feel rather productive when we're we're all and and very collaborative when we're all you know sort of in the same in the same boat as opposed to a couple of people out of the meeting room but everybody else is, is yeah, in the meeting no, it's, room. it's it's interesting everyone had a really fixed mindset about you know virtual meetings um, and 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 actually when you get there it's actually really powerful we advised blackrock about 5 years ago on this they were uh, we worked with them as one of our first partners on on mitigating bias uh, which is a big practice we have. And, and one of the insights we came to was, look, if, if one person's, you know, in San Francisco and, you know, 10 people in New York, it's just impossible to really be inclusive and the people are always feeling unincluded and there's always this bias to, you know, conversations in the room. And so they, they experimented with this, you know, if, if, if anyone's out of the room, then everyone's on the platform on their own. And it was a kind of really crazy idea at the time, but they tried it and found it worked tremendously well. So I think that's an important thing to have a growth mindset about going forward as we move into the sort of hybrid world where some people will be back in, lots won't. Um, we feel the same way about learning. So with learning, uh, actually, when you get learning right, it's dramatically better than in person uh, done virtually. Um, so, but you can't just take the same learning, put it online. Uh, but when you get virtual learning right, it's shorter, much more scalable, much cheaper, and dramatically better in terms of habits. We've been kind of teasing apart why that is and how that is. What did you guys do around learning itself, around leadership development and learning? What did you do in the uh, in the transition? Yeah, so you know, so those things are are, are other uh, topics that we're um, certainly perfecting uh, as well. We were in the process of moving, well, of of um, uh, installing LinkedIn Learning. On a, on a global basis throughout yep. our organization. So, um, you know, we're leveraging that uh, much, much, much more. Uh, we've developed a lot of, um, uh, you know, re remote learning type courses or, you know, and videos on things related to working from home and dealing with distractions and, uh, uh, and, and for managers, you know, managing in a virtual uh, sort of uh, environment. So uh, I would say we've really dialed it up. And then it, the things that we have been doing um, previously in more uh, live session uh, formats, we've had to convert to um, um, virtual, you know, but still instructor-led or, or yeah. live-led type classes. So, th so there's been some adaptation uh, there, but, you know, by and large, just as we were talking about meetings, those can be done quite effectively. Um, I, I, in a remote I'm pulling this apart at the moment and it's fascinating. I'm still at the early stages of the research, but some of, I'll just share with you and everyone, some of the early notes, you know, you, people are taking kind of say a half day classroom and basically making it a, you know, three or four hour zoom. And it's crazy um, in the learning space. And you're taking sort of something that's not very good and making it much, much worse. Whereas when you go virtual, you can actually make it much, much better. And we've been looking at say a half day or one day classroom um, and looking at like the tonnage of attention people pay, how long they pay it for, how many actions they take and comparing that to say, splitting it into three one hour sessions over say three weeks. Um, and I'm looking at the math at the moment and playing with it, but basically when it comes to the amount of actions people take as a result of the learning, it's about six times more when you split it into three one hour sessions than do it all in a block, literally six times more the, um, uh, the actions people take as a result of the learning, which is amazing, right? That also the, um, 
the amount of time they spend focusing on the learning as a result of the learning, are also about six times, more than six times greater. Um, not 60%, six times, like 600%, uh, just by basically splitting into three one-hour sessions. But everyone has this bias, and it's actually a fixed mindset. Um, everyone has this bias that, well, if we split it out into three weeks, we'll lose people. And it turns out that's correct. You will lose people, about 10% of people, but actually not that many. If you do it right, build a good program, you won't lose that many more people. But everyone has a safety bias around that and a fixed mindset, like, are we going to lose all these people? But they're not accounting for actually what you gain. And you gain literally like a six times increase in the amount of action people take from the learning, um, as well as all these other things. So, you know, we're, we're, we've been like really studying the kind of real data on this at the moment. We're not ready to publish something yet, but that's some of the early findings that we're seeing. Uh, it's quite remarkable. So my encouragement to you and everyone is, uh, you know, think about um, the opportunity of this crisis where learning virtually is going to be the mainstay for a long time. It's going to be a big part of, of, of the culture, including deep leadership programs, which can also work this way. Uh, and think about using the opportunity to make the programs massively better rather than just kind of cut and paste. Uh, you know, what you have in there, which will tend to make them worse. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's something that, that we're seeing. So yeah, Chris, any um, kind of other, like, as you're thinking about what's next for you guys and what's coming up, you know, what do you think the organization's going to be kind of grappling with? Where do you think the organization will need a growth mindset kind of going forward? Yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, speaking of the transition back to office, um, I, I think there's a lot of uh, green space there for possibilities. Um, so, you know, the, the one is, and, and we're wrestling with, with this internally, is to what extent is this something that we want to make more permanent, you know, sort of this location flexibility of, of work? And what is the role of the office? Uh, you know, what is the office best suited for, uh, if not, having people in it full time. We, we haven't gotten to a conclusion on that one, uh, frankly, right. and there are different schools of thought around how important it is to be together physically uh, in an office on a regular basis versus yeah. what, you know, what potentially you lose from being fully remote. So um, we've initiated research efforts around that. We're collecting data in this, you know, kind of big experiment that we were all forced into uh, at some level, but uh, um, you know, we're, we're, we're staying open to that. The, the other thing that I know that we will have to learn our way into is really how, if we want to get people back into the office and we want to try and do it in a safe way, but in a fairly expedient way uh, as well, once the, uh, the, uh, the local situation uh, warrants that, is how, how do we attract people back into the office, especially those who really enjoy working from home, who've tasted the good wine and don't right. want to, you know, go back to the cheap stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, I look at that as a, essentially it becomes a marketing effort. How, how do we yeah. convince people that it's safe? It's safe to get there. That's the bigger, I think it's psychological the bigger issue. I, I think it's a lot about psychological safety here, yeah. more so than just the physical. The physical needs to be handled, but I think, uh, it's going to be a lot about people feeling like they have some choice in there, which yep. gives them a sense of psychological yep. Yep. safety. Which, which we've said outright that nobody will be forced to come back to the office who isn't comfortable doing that. Uh, but yeah. we want to, you know, over time create more sort of encouragement, more incentives, if you will, to draw people back into the yeah. office because we know that we're working swimming against a little bit against the tide of, Hey, I'm really comfortable now, you know, sort of to the fixed mindset yeah, right. notion. It's like, I've gotten used to this. It was painful getting in here, but I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with it. I probably like it at some level. Why do I want to change? Again? Right. Yeah, exactly. And the answer might be, you don't, maybe you don't want people to change. So we're, we're researching this exact thing at the moment. We're doing analysis of our own data, other companies' data, and also, um, all the industry data we can see to develop a point of view. Cause a lot of firms and CEOs are thinking like, should I force people back to the office or like, actually, isn't it better? I mean, our early data on this pre COVID was that uh, actually people get about a day a week of productivity when they, when they can work at home. Um, so, so sort of the whole question of what should we bring people back for? Should we bring them back? How often we're doing some analysis on that at the moment, we'll be able to give you a, a research briefing. Uh, we'll be ready to do that and kind of really, come out with sort of, um, you know, here, here is sort of conventional wisdom, but here's actually what the research says about those, those decisions, you know, the, the decisions in the hybrid model. Andrea, do you want to add anything there? 
Yes, I just was going to say uh, one thing that stood out, and this is early days still in the analysis, so this is not 100% confirmed yet, but it looks as if we looked at people uh, who work remotely more uh, as a result of COVID and their anxiety levels and threat levels perceived and what actually lowers that anxiety level. And it turns out that um, relatedness, being part of a team, even if it's a virtual team, is really um, lowering people's anxiety. So even if people have to stay remote, uh, if we can make them um, part of a team that feels inclusive to them, it seems to be really helping with those anxiety levels. So that's just something that came up recently. We're going to you know, dig further into that. Right. It doesn't matter if they're together. What matters is if they feel together. Right. Um, they can be separate, but if, they, if there's sort of practices that have people really feel like they're a team and you know, many firms have been grappling with this question of, I thought the culture was our building and the way we met and worked. And right. no, actually the culture is not that. It's, it's, it's actually a series of shared everyday habits. A couple of closing comments. You know, someone said to me that I, I met with recently, like, oh, we were wrong about the fact that people could work at home. Um, we were wrong about, you know, this is, this is their organization. They were wrong about the fact that, you know, people could work at home. They were wrong about the fact that it would be impossible to, to transition to that in any meaningful short time. Uh, they were wrong about the fact that they could do some basic learning virtually. They're wrong. Like there's all these sort of things that companies are going, huh, we always thought that was impossible and now it's not. And then, so, so companies are starting to think, oh, what else do we believe is impossible? And actually maybe isn't. Um, like maybe it's not impossible to really move the needle on diversity, inclusion, and equity, for example. Maybe we can do that. Um, maybe, maybe like what else? So, so I think there's this sort of open-mindedness almost that is, is a growth mindset starting to happen in organizations where they're saying, oh, look, all these things we've thought were impossible actually happened. So what else do we think is impossible that we could move the needle on? So do you, do you have kind of a, a wish list of the one big thing you could really, you could really tackle, the, the sort of the one big thing you could leverage the moment on, Chris? Yeah, I, I think you, you already mentioned it uh, in the DEI space. Um, you know, that's, that's come up recently as another yeah. crisis, if you will, on top of the pandemic crisis that we're already uh, facing. And uh, it's, it's a challenging one for all of us. I think there's a lot of good intention, um, you know, and sort of uh, energy behind it, but a yeah. lot of questions about what do we really do? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we're taking a, a very much of a growth mindset, learning, trying to understand first before, uh, before taking uh, action. Uh, but it's, it, it, to some extent as well, is, is uncharted territory where there's a lot to learn and, and, it, and it will be an iterative uh, process. Well, it turns out it's charted for us. We've been in the space for a while. Uh, it's somewhat charted. It's not unexplored for us. Uh, it's it's not fully known, but it's un it, one thing that we've seen when a company wants to do like uh, things properly, when they really want them to, to really build the right habits properly, uh, actually the right place to start is with growth mindset. Uh, the right place to start is educating all people managers and ideally giving all people managers the tools to educate every employee um, on the habits of growth mindset and actually building those. That's actually the place to start. It, it creates this fertile ground for then doing the next practices. And it, it creates this real interest in other people's perspectives and other people's points of view and you know, a hunger to learn from others and all this. So actually when we're doing this um, the diversity, inclusion, equity work, we're increasingly starting with growth mindset in a pathway, then moving to the critical habits for inclusion, like day to day, how do we actively include? And when we collect data on this, we find most managers actually can be more inclusive every week a few times um, and have a big impact. Uh, and then from there, how do we actively mitigate bias? And I'll give you a data point. Um, I know you love data. Uh, on average, for us, when an initiative is successful, um, the majority of people, like 85, 90, 95% of people, are actively mitigating bias every week now. Um, and so a company of, say, 10,000 employees should have about half a million acts of bias mitigation a year. Uh, and that's how you get systemic change. Um, and that's the third big kind of set of habits. And then the fourth one is actually getting people to speak up better, um, which relates to allyship, but also just getting people to, to kind of take on the challenges. So it's kind of growth mindset, active inclusion, mitigate bias and, you know, raise voices, um, other sets of habits. And we see about 18 months to two years as the journey to kind of go on that. But it really does start with growth mindset is this sort of willingness to, to explore things and, and move forward. The, uh, 
so one of the one of the questions is around and this comes up a lot kind of strengths versus growth mindset it's an interesting dynamic um kind of strengths versus growth mindset andrea do you want to take that a little bit what's i don't know if you've, you've dug into that i've certainly got a point of view but um strengths and growth mindset any comments to add there as a researcher yeah i mean this is a great question that comes up really a lot even in conversations that i have so the when we think about what uh, the focus on strengths means of course it is really valuable and helpful but i think where the strength of growth mindset comes in is actually acknowledging that i'm not always the expert and it's okay to have gaps if you combine it with an attitude of if I find this gap, I'm not actually that good at X, I can still improve. So I think uh, there is not necessarily a, a disconnect, but um, focusing on strength and only working on strength isn't always necessarily um, helpful when I have to be adaptive, right? Particularly now when we have to do things that we have never done before, may not be our strength, we still have to do it to survive yeah. as an organization. I'm going to have to overcome that somehow. That's where growth matter comes in, helps us overcome that obstacle. Yeah, it can accidentally prime people for a fixed mindset. So mm -hmm. strength thinking can accidentally prime people for a fixed mindset. At the same time, just because you, you know, are able to build a growth mindset doesn't mean you should build skills in every domain. You know, if you have very basic skills in coding, you shouldn't necessarily be the person to go and learn the whole coding world. You know, hire someone with 20 years. So, so growth mindset doesn't mean that you can become an expert overnight, but it does mean that in any domain you can get better. Um, and often it is valuable to believe that you can get better um, in and of itself. It's incredibly valuable as you interface with that domain. So yeah, absolutely growth mindset can, um, uh, or, or, or a strengths mindset can accidentally create a fixed mindset. And particularly in this time, it's not about strengths, it's actually about adapting. Um, it's much more about collaborating and adapting and being, you know, extremely agile in the moment, kind of seeing what's happening and, and responding. The other quick comment there around um, reflection, um, it's very interesting. I mean, growth mindset is about valuing reflection. And so we talk about in that middle habit of um, value progress, you know, every time you debrief on something, start with where were you, where are you now, where are you going? So reflection is woven into every conversation. So you're never just talking about what result did we achieve. It's always comparable to before. How did we get there? And then where are we going and how will we get there? So you're literally valuing reflection into every conversation about performance or results in any way. Um, so it's kind, of a, it's kind of a philosophy that learning matters. And the way to learn is to reflect. The outcome for reflection is insight. Insight creates action. Actions create new habits there so those David, how does growth mindset fall into coaching i mean they're, they're very close together coaching requires a growth mindset coaching requires believing you know when you're coaching someone you've got to believe that they can get better um and when you're being coached it is about how can i get better it's not it's not you know how do i prove myself it's how do i improve myself so coaching is about nudging towards a growth mindset um coaching is there Chris, um, just thank you for joining us so much. Um, I appreciate you being here to walk through uh, your experience um, and, uh, you know, take care of the organization as amazingly as you have as we go in through this next stage. Uh, I love what you're doing with the, the place. I love what you're doing with leadership and then gathering data, sharing data, taking care of people, being really thoughtful and structured about that. It's fantastic. A great way to adapt. Um, and I appreciate the, uh, the ongoing collaboration. Thanks very much. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Your Brain at Work is produced by the Neuroleadership Institute. You can help us in making organizations more human by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Our executive producer for Your Brain at Work is Noah Gelb. Danielle Kirschenblatt is our editor. Gabriel Berzin, our associate producer. And Cliff David, our production manager. Original music is by Grant Zubritsky. And logo design is by Catch Ware. We'll see you next time.